Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The story is told of an older Jewish father who called his son just before Yom Kippur to deliver some stunning news. Your mother and I are getting a divorce, he said as he sighed deeply. There was silence on the phone for several minutes before the son finally replied, but dad, you've been married more than 50 years. You can't just up and walk away. My mind is made up, the father said firmly. We're done. But what could have happened? Why would you do this, the son pleaded. I just can't talk about it, the father said. It's too painful. Fine, the son replied. I'm booking a flight right now. I'll be there tomorrow. Would you let your sister know, the father said. I just can't face having this conversation again. The son quickly agreed and hung up the phone. About half an hour later, the father received a call from his daughter. Dad, just promise me you won't do anything until we both get there, she pleaded. The father agreed. When he hung up the phone, he turned to his wife, who had overheard the whole conversation, and said, well, that worked, but we're going to have to come up with something else if we want to get them here for Passover. I wonder what parent with children far away hasn't contemplated something along those lines as a way of getting their children to come home for the holidays. The story, of course, isn't really about marriage, but rather about control. How do we get people to do something they might not otherwise do. That's really the underlying thing going on in our gospel lesson today. As we've seen throughout our reading of Mark's gospel, the tensions continue to increase between Jesus and the religious leaders who see him as a threat to their power, their position, their privilege, and their prosperity. Jesus is drawing massive crowds of followers, and that makes these leaders nervous. Their place in life, their whole way of life, depends upon upholding this fragile peace with Rome. And they fear that Jesus is becoming powerful enough to lead a rebellion against Rome. And such an uprising would cost them everything. That's why they come to Jesus and publicly confront him with this question about marriage. It has nothing to do with marriage or the teachings of Moses, but rather simply they're trying to trap Jesus in a bind before the crowds. The verses to which they point about divorce had been the subject of disagreement and debate in Judaism for centuries. There is no definitive answer here, no right or wrong interpretation, really. But the ambiguity around their interpretation provides space for the religious leaders to find something in Jesus' teaching worthy of condemnation. 
for Jesus to affirm that traditional interpretation of the Torah, that it is acceptable for a man to divorce his wife, was for him to uphold a tradition that many devout Jews had begun to question by Jesus' time. If a man divorced his wife for whatever reason, he left her vulnerable and at the mercy of society. She had two choices. She could either return to her family if they would have her, or she could turn to prostitution, which was the only line of work available to women in that time and place. Either of those left her ineligible for marriage again and without significant protection in a culture that placed little to no value on the life of women. On the other hand, to question the traditional interpretation of the Torah and to dismiss the right of men to divorce their wives for whatever reason they chose would open Jesus to public condemnation as one who violated the law and taught others to do so as well. Jesus is in a bind, and he knows it. And that's why he refuses to play in to the hands of these religious leaders. Instead of questioning or dismissing these verses from the Torah, Jesus insists on going deeper to identify the truths upon which these verses rest. That's why he pushes back against the religious leaders and says that these words exist because Moses and the other leaders of Israel understood the hardness of heart common among humans, especially among men. The real truth is that all humans struggle to honor and keep the commitments they make to each other. And any breaking of these commitments wounds everyone. So no, this isn't really about marriage. It's about power and relationships, about how we relate to each other. And yet it, these texts have been used so often as weapons. British theologian John Pridemore has written, Marriage, like dogs at Christmas, are for life. But I live in Hackney, not in Eden. Here, marriages fail. Sometimes, miraculously, there is the hope of a new beginning. To wrench the words of Jesus from their polemical context and to use them as a ligature to strangle that hope at birth is pastorally cruel and abuse of Scripture and ultimately a denial of the gospel. What Jesus does here, though, is turn this into a teachable moment to help the crowds and the religious leaders to understand the deeper truths upon which the Torah and the traditions of Israel are built. This isn't about rules and regulations. It's about relationships. It's about the way that we treat each other. Our first reading is paired with this gospel for that exact reason. To remind us that the yearnings that we feel to be in relationship with each other are good and wonderful and holy. They are life-giving reminders that we have been created in the image of a God who is the being of relationship itself, and that our drive to love and be loved is a reflection of that very image in us. But the religious leaders want to make this all about power. 
They seek to claim power over Jesus and to control him by disgracing him before the crowds. The verses they quote are chosen to reinforce the power of men over women and all others in that time and place. And Jesus rejects both and points to the importance of mutuality and interdependence. He reveals to us a God who embraces vulnerability by forsaking power to live in an interdependent relationship with creation. Jesus literally turns their quest for power on its ear. That's in keeping, of course, with the teaching that we hear from Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that the God who has come to us in Jesus Christ forsakes all power over us to establish power under us and power with us in the struggle to bring healing and wholeness to the whole world. In doing so, Jesus becomes the great high priest, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the one who leads us through the struggles of life to forsake the quest for power and to embrace our vulnerability and our need for each other. That's the heart of what Jesus has been trying to teach the disciples all along, but it's the message they struggle to understand. It's why Jesus pushes back against the disciples in the second part of our gospel reading. As people are bringing their children to Jesus for a blessing, the disciples are trying to keep them away, trying to dismiss them. They, like most people in that time and place, saw children as more of a nuisance than anything else. The disciples see Jesus as powerful and important, one whose time is too valuable to be wasted with those of no account in that society. According to Mark, Jesus becomes indignant, or a better translation would be furious. Jesus was deeply upset by the disciples' attempt to continue to cling for this need for power and position and privilege and prosperity, even as he continues to teach them that such things are completely contrary to the beloved community of God's reign. Jesus scolds the disciples and reminds them that they should never dismiss those who are regarded as last and least and lost in the world, especially children. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. These are the most important and powerful people in the world, according to God. And so Jesus takes those children in his arms and he blesses them. It hardly needs to be said that our world worships power and control. Each of us feels the pressure to grasp for them deep within ourselves. There's the utter despair that so many experience over the feeling of powerlessness in their relationships or their jobs or their communities, coupled with the desire that eats away at them to claim just some sense of power and self-determination. Surely, if we can just get this or have that, then we can finally not feel so overwhelmed. 
for those who have found a measure of success, there's that constant nagging fear of losing it, of losing one's job or experiencing financial ruin. Those anxieties eat away at us all. All the while we watch a successful few enjoy wealth and influence. So much of our society rests on this struggle for power and position and privilege and prosperity. Those same things the disciples grasped for, for which the religious leaders were clinging. It seems like the pursuit of those things is what keeps us going, and yet Jesus invites us to step out of the competition and to stop playing the game. Jesus teaches us to dig deeper below the surface of those yearnings and to connect with the deeper desires of our souls. What we yearn for more than anything else, more than power or money or influence or even respect, is connection. We yearn to know that we're not alone, that we're part of something bigger and that we don't have to face the struggles of life alone. That's why Jesus invites us to this table, to this place of ultimate connection with God and with each other. It's here that we find that we are part of a family whose bonds can never be broken. It's here that we are remembered as the one body of Christ whose power is made perfect in the very weakness that brings us together here at this table. Amen.